This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self-Care for Teachers, helping you prioritize your health, happiness and well-being so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds Keane, reminding you that you're a person first and a teacher second and you are allowed to look after you. Hi everyone and welcome back. On the podcast today, I have another teacher story and this time it is with Elise. In this episode, Elise tells us about some serious health challenges that she's faced over her teaching career, including a really, really important message about vocal care. We cover so many great points and actually it was such a great conversation that it went for nearly an hour. So I've split this into two parts. In part one, which is today's episode, we focus on the workplace stuff, the teacher stuff, the well-being challenges that Elise has faced in her career at work and the impact and a leadership team that is proactively supporting staff well-being has had on her but also on her experience of school culture. In part two, we focus more on the personal well-being side of things and Elise shares some great tips there too, so stay tuned for that next week. Now, throughout both of these episodes, Elise mentions Katrina Burke from Katrina Burke Coaching, who is a friend and supporter of this podcast and has been a wonderful sponsor for a couple of seasons now. But I do want to say that this is not a sponsored episode. Katrina is not paying me or Elise to say any of this. It's just a very real and honest testimonial of the power of coaching and, of course, of Katrina's wonderful work both with individuals and with school staff. So, as always, Remember that there is hope if you're in a tough spot personally right now or if you feel like your school is struggling with a culture of the opposite of well-being, you know, that can change. And there are people out there whose job it is and who have made it their mission to learn everything they can about how to make those changes, how to improve well-being individually and at the school level. So if you'd like to work with me, there are a number of ways to do that you know, individual coaching group programs, online resources, and also some in-person workshops. And you can find out more about that and book a discovery call with me at selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash coaching. And stay tuned to the Self-Care for Teachers Facebook page too for updates and events and resources. And of course, as you've probably heard in many other episodes, you can also find Katrina Burke at katrinaburkecoaching.com.au. Now, on with the episode. Hi, Elise. Thanks for coming on the podcast. How are you today? Hi, I'm feeling great. Thanks, Ellen. That's good. I'm really glad. Uh, well, let's just get started. Uh, can you tell me and the listeners a bit about your background and you know your teaching history? Okay. Well, I've been teaching for 22 years now, which is seems like a long time, but it seems to have also gone really fast. So in that time I've taught overseas, I taught overseas for 12 years and then returned to Australia and um, I've taught as a class teacher, grade one and two mainly and grade four, five, but I've also mainly been a specialist teacher for my career. Okay, cool. And so mostly primary school specialist teaching? Yes, primary teaching, yes. Yeah, yeah. And um, like in state schools, Catholic schools, all sorts of a mix? Well, I... In a, I started off in a state school in Australia and then I went overseas and I taught in 
first of all, a state school, and then I spent a lot of time in a Church of England school, and then yeah, I taught in another Church of England school, and then some state schools. And back in Australia, I've taught in um, some Catholic schools and some state schools. Yeah, so you've had had a nice mix. Yeah, good mix. Yeah. Yeah, cool. And I know you've had a few. Um, ups and downs uh, as I mean as we all do right life happens um <laughs> yeah would love it if you could share some of your challenges I guess in in terms of your health and well-being that you've experienced over that time in those 22 years mm-hmm. Fine. can you just sum up your 22 years of your career in, in a minute and a half <laughs> no problem so I think my challenges with well-being started as a young person um, my mom is a migrant, so she has that migrant work ethic. So she just worked and worked and worked and she was a single parent for a lot of my childhood. And I just saw someone, she was a teacher, and she just worked really hard. And I just thought that's what people do. They just work really, really hard. And um, that was my pattern. And then I had to go to Melbourne to go to uni. So I was from a very rural back out, background and um, I was so homesick. But my mom was such a trooper. She just just kept going and I thought that's I need to just keep going and I think I ignored my my feelings quite a lot and ignored my homesickness and my desire to go back to the bush and eventually I just decided to go to London, which is crazy. But I did it anyway. <laughs> Further away from the bush. <laughs> even more. Let's just do this. So I think and even in the UK, there's such a culture of oh, I really think that teachers over there are just under the pump in such a, a ridiculous way. And I, because that was my first time being a class teacher in London, I was in a school that was in special measures and that the um, agency said to me, oh, there's no difference in a school with special measures, which is completely not true. You have so many more, um, so much more observation and your plans are really rigorously looked at. And I had never taught class. I'd always been a specialist. So, you know, it was pretty tough. It was a pretty tough time. And I, I was just ignoring my well-being the whole time. Well, because on top of all the, the actual workplace stuff, you're also living in another country. <laughs> That's right. And I went by myself. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know anybody. And it was pretty tough. And I, I just kept going with that pattern. That really, I, the idea that if you just work hard enough, you will be fine. And that was, I think that's what mum did. And her parents also did that when they moved to Australia. Yeah. So I think uh, for me, it was just a matter of just working, 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 and then I kind of burnt out. Yeah. After about five, four or five years of teaching class, I was working um, in an area just adjoined to the financial district in London and I'd just work from 7am till 7pm every day and I'd look out my windows and it would be dark and um, I'd just look out and see all the, the buildings where all the bankers worked and I just thought, God, um, those guys would earn more in their annual Christmas, in their Christmas bonus than I would in my entire year. Yeah. I started to get really jaded and really, really, I was really exhausted and I didn't realize I was emotionally and physically exhausted. And then I started getting really cynical. And as a result of my cynicism, my relationships at school started to break down with colleagues, which is such a common pattern of burnout. Absolutely. And, it, and it's <laughs> so, it's so insidious because it doesn't, happen in one big no um, it just gradually happens yeah slow burn but a dangerous yeah. one it's really and it's so yeah so insidious that you don't notice and then suddenly people are like what's what's happening with you you need to sort yourself out you're just not yourself and I didn't realize that I was just burning out and um <laughs> and I was sick of being so cynical and I just said to myself I can't be this horrible person I just need to quit so I went to the boss one day I said look I just can't come back next year 
And on the very same day that my, I gave him my um, resignation after working there for quite a few years, working my butt off, he immediately called one of the CRTs who was a regular and said, um, can you have um, this person's job next year? <gasps> and she was like, yeah, I've got a job. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, I worked so hard. And they, there was no, <laughs> no, um, no support or anything. It was just like, right, I see you. Yeah. yeah, I was just like, that was, I was so replaceable. And I think that's something that teachers need to realise. All of us need to realise that. Mm, yeah, because, and, and of course, from the perspective of having to have a teacher in front of a classroom, of course, that's why we have CRT and supply teachers. Of course, we need to be filling those spots so that somebody's working with those kids tomorrow, but mm. you're not replaceable in your own life. <laughs> No, that's right. And I think we need to realise the difference. Yep. Yeah, we really do. Mm. But, um, after that, I, I went back to being a specialist. So in the next school year, I finished that school year and um, it was great. And I, I loved those children. They were so yeah. great to work with. And I got married and I invited all the, the kids in my class to my wedding. Such a local in London, you know, everyone in that area is just quite a community. And it was great. There was no hard feelings at all. And I loved my colleagues and I felt they loved me and they all came to the wedding and it was all good. Mm. But then I went back to being a specialist and oh my gosh, I was working in three different schools in, um, in mostly in East London, really hard kids with really tricky behavior. And then also just knowing all those names, I had to know everyone's name and it was a few hundred children, maybe up to 700 kids. And also you only see them once a week. So it takes a while to learn. Yeah, you just have to know everyone and you need to know, oh, that kid really hates noise and that one doesn't like that other child, so don't let them sit together. And it's just too much. And I think I didn't realise that was too much. So I eventually just cut back down to having just one school, which was better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was much better. <laughs> and, but in every single one of those decisions also, they're just kind of, oh, yeah, that's just the way you do it. Yeah, you've got, you've got three schools and you've got to learn all those kids' names, and it's really hard, but that's just what, that's just what the job mm, is. That's the job. Just got to do it. You do. You just have to do it, and you have to make the best of it. Yeah. And you want the children to have a great time in, in the lessons and to love the subject area. But you just give and so much energy comes out. There's less assessment. I mean, you still assess and plan, but it's far less. Um, well, because you're only saving them for half an hour a week. You can't. Exactly. You can't do that much. Yeah. But I think the most debilitating thing in terms of my well-being, apart from the energy loss, mm. was the effect on my voice. Yes. And um, by the time my voice started to pack up, I was still working really, really hard, but just in a different way. And my the principal that I had at that point, she was completely intolerant of anyone being unwell. To, to be unwell, you had to call her and tell her that you were unwell and she would interview you. Oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> and ask, why, why aren't you coming in? What's wrong with you? Yeah, prove to me that you're on death's door. <laughs> oh, it was like that. She was a really terrible example of a, a good leader. Mm. And um, so you really couldn't take time off that easily. And even if you did, she would come up to you in the corridor and say, you've been taking too much time off. And then people would just not take time off. No, exactly. Because, because it, I mean, it's already hard to take, like, it's already harder than if you're not actually really, really unwell, it's so much easier sometimes to just drag just yourself. Keep going. And then it gets to write your, your lesson plans and send them in and all of, all of that that has to happen, yeah. <laughs> let alone with the third degree as well. And particularly, you know, particularly if the reason that you're, you're not, 
feeling well enough to go into work is is an actual workplace issue and a mental health issue, that kind of attitude is just toxic. It was really toxic and I loved working at that school. At the same time, I loved that school and I loved working with those people and with those children. Unfortunately, the boss was just not great, but everyone else was great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> however, it didn't. It was a really bad place for my well-being in terms of my voice. So even though socially I had great colleagues, great friends in that school, um, my voice just it ended up that I got polyps, one on each fold. Wow. And I couldn't hit any of my high notes. So after usually I've got a pretty good high um, register, I just couldn't hit any of those notes anymore. And so I went to a, um, a specialist and I found out I had to have an operation on my throat, which was quite confronting. Absolutely. Mm. And because as a teacher, our voice is our work. I mean, if you don't have a voice, how do you teach a classroom mm -hmm. of students? You can't. So I really want to say to all teachers listening to this, just look after your voice. It is your primary instrument. And if you haven't got a good voice, it's really uncomfortable for people to listen to, not just let alone for you to use the voice. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And that's the other reason I'm always telling, you know, I was a, a music teacher. Um, and so not that I'm singing is not my trained area, but, um, you know, you, you learn a bit because you've got you to know a bit of everything. And um, the, that's the other thing that people don't realize and don't understand about the voice is that if you are really tired, if you are, you know, dehydrated, and or if you are sick mm -hmm. and you force it, that's when you do damage. So that's the other, you know, just from the perspective of, yes, I know it's really hard when you feel crook and you're just like, but I can't be bothered writing my supervision. So I'll just drag myself in and, mm -hmm. you know, be grouchy and, and snotty all day for the, for the kids. And hopefully they'll be kind to me. I'll just, you know, drag my way through the day, but it's so damaging to your voice. Yes. Not to mention the relationships that you have with the not student. Not to mention the fact that you're just sharing your germs, which is not caring. Sharing is not caring in that instance. It's so true. And I think for teachers, we just feel like, oh, it's just my voice. It's my voice is the other thing that's wrong. And I can still, I'm still walking. I'm not talking. Yeah. And they come in and whisper and that's actually way worse for your voice. Um, whispering is really straining. So I'm now a massive advocate for voice uh, care. Yes. After having gone through that operation. Having learned it the hard way. I've learned it really the hard way. And yeah, if I could just say anything to people, make sure you drink loads of water and, you know, have voice rest if you need it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, because if you're losing your voice, that is actually enough of it. Even if you feel fine, but your voice is going, that's, that warrants a sick day. It does. Please take a sick day because if you get something like polyps or a nodules. You're going to be out for a lot longer than one day. Yeah, it's going to end up much worse. Um, actually, one of the things, this, this is just an aside, but Katrina Burke, who I've worked with a fair bit in our school and, and individually, he has a priorities matrix. Um, I think it's Covey's priorities matrix. And yes. In that, there's four quadrants. And um, so you've got, you know, the quadrants of urgent and important and um, not important and not urgent. And a lot of people put uh, healthcare and well-being into the important but not urgent box. But actually, if you keep doing that, for example, with your voice, yeah, you're going to end up making that in the important and urgent box. <laughs> it's going to go there. That's so true. And you're going to be off work. Yeah. Could be a long time. Exactly. And that's what I would say about self-care and particularly the preventative health care stuff of the self-care because, sure, maybe getting eight hours of sleep instead of seven hours of sleep or six and a half hours of sleep tonight is 
is important but not urgent. But if you do that every night, then all of a sudden your health is going to become urgent mm-hmm. and it'll be the most important thing. Um, That's right. You get sick. You get really sick. And it takes so much longer to come back from as well, like that, that stitch in time saves nine kind of thinking. Um, if you can just keep maintaining things, you won't go so far backwards with your health that it's going to need months off and operations to get better. Yeah, hopefully, it's right. It's I just really just tell everyone that I see when their voice is croaky. I'm like, oh, you should be resting your voice now. Mm. I like a bit of a zealot. I'm a voice care zealot now. I think it's important, and I think I think if we can all like, create that as a culture too, so that that we're not grumbling about the fact that somebody took a day off because they were getting a husky voice. That's reason enough. You know, if you've got a sore throat and your voice is, is getting croaky, that warrants a day off because that is actually your, your, as you said, your primary instrument isn't good enough to, to do the job today. And we, yeah, if we could just encourage each other and just make that the, the norm. Absolutely. I think that would really help teachers with their voice care issues. I think that's a brilliant message. I mean, we, we you know, we can stop the podcast there. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, why not? We let's, won't, no, but let's keep going because I know there's more to the story. Um, yeah, my speech therapist would actually, she would love me right now for saying that. She's all, she was a singer and she's always saying, teachers just have to take more care, take more care of your voice, value it. So that's the end of that. I'll get off my soapbox now. So anyway. Um, Thank you. I, I, I appreciated that soapbox very much. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that was kind of my first realisation. Well, no, there was the mini breakdown, the, the mini, you know, burnout breakdown as a class teacher, and then there was the vocal breakdown. And then uh, it was, you know, a really, it was a really big thing. because We moved to Australia when I had an 18-month-old child and a four-year-old. Wow. And um, I was, I'm from here, but my husband isn't. And it was really stressful. And I ended up being the maid breadwinner when we moved back and um so I had to get a job and it was it was on me to really you know get the job because I already had the qualifications in this country and I was like okay you need a job so I, I got a I got a part-time job working as a performing arts teacher and I also then was offered a four-day-a-week job as a class teacher um in a in a school close to my home and um actually I really feel that at this point alarm bell should have rung for me so it was a culture in that school that um you would have permanent stuff and then everyone else was on a contract it was a really a huge well-being nightmare I had a class with really tricky kids because mm, there's no stability for the kids either the, the, the staff turnover makes that that a whole the relationship thing yeah mm. so there's so many needs in there and there was hardly any support from LSOs. I think I might have had someone one hour in the morning, but I had children who were violent and others who were undiagnosed with maybe SLD. There was children with ASD. There was no LSO. A lot of support. needs, yeah. And there was just me with no support really with the behaviour. Um, but I think my mental health was really strained by knowing that I was working really hard, but it really, there, apart from it being great for the students, which is why I did it, um, in the future for me, there was no place there. Yeah. Yeah. And so you knew that all the hard work is kind of pretty tough. Uh, and I know that that's something teachers struggle with, with every time there's a new curriculum change or whether it's like, well, I'm going to do all this work and then I'll change it on me again. There's no, no chance to reap the rewards. Yes. You don't reap the rewards. I noticed that the children's results were really good and growing and developing. That was really, that was great. I was doing that. For, yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a really good thing. But I think for myself, my own mental health, had actually started to really deteriorate and I really wanted to leave. 
but I knew that I had to pay the bills. Yeah. So I was just there. A bit just stuck. Like, oh, I can't, I just have to stay here. And anyway, um, I just ended up at the end of the year, they said, oh, you know, we can give you two days a week next year. But I just said, no, I just can't come back. I was really emotionally wrecked. And I really don't want to sound like a whinger because I've worked in so many amazing schools and continue to. I don't think it's whinging, especially when you've worked in, a, in multiple places. It's, I think it's actually important that we say, mm, we need to foster, I think, a culture, and this is hopefully something that I'm trying to do, um, is to foster the culture where regardless of, of what's happening in the management of the school, because that's outside of our control, most of the time as, as, you know, classroom teachers or specialist teachers. And also regardless of what's happening in the, the wider political systemic landscape of education, because a lot of that also, I mean, of course, of course the organisational level and the, the systemic level impact our wellbeing 100%. However, if there is a huge culture of, I suppose, a groundswell of teachers all saying, well, I'm going to do what I need to do for me so that I can show up and do the best in this hard situation, then I, th- I think we can also support each other in that. I hope we can support each other in that. That would be a huge revolution in teaching, I think, especially in what I've seen in the UK. I think we really need to stand up for ourselves and just say, no, it's not acceptable. Yep. And it's different from, I, I feel, my gut feeling is that it's different from the union movement. We need the unions 100%, but it's also, it's a slightly different thing that you know it's about us actually really valuing ourselves not waiting for permission from somebody else or from from uh management or the the politicians to say it it's okay you are allowed to do this yes you are worthy yes you should look after yourself it's actually us giving that to ourselves and you know if if we're losing our voice and all the everyone in the staff room says ah soldier on come on you just suck it up (laughs) what are you wuss yeah yeah we have to counter that, you know, even if everyone in our life is saying soldier on, you know, I want to give the message that please don't soldier on. That's not actually good for anyone long-term and I will give you permission. <laughs> um, and that's someone's got to, someone's got to start it. Well, I'm trying. <laughs> and, and I, good job. <laughs> thank you. And I think, I think we get, I actually do think we're getting there as, as individuals and as schools, you know, little by little, Leaders are coming on board because leaders are also, school leaders are also having wellbeing crises, unfortunately. Um, That's true. And so I think we're getting there. I hope. I'm see, I have hope. I have hope that we're on the right track. I definitely have hope. And I could say, I'd like to just try and get a bit more positive because I feel like I've said some things that are pretty, pretty down on education, but um, the school that I currently work in is such a great place to work. And Part of that is just because the principal and the deputy principal are committed to staff wellbeing. And so we, it started really, no, it's much smaller than it, than it is now, but initially um, the principal, she was looking at the results of the Insight SRC surveys and wellbeing was a bit of a, an issue. And so as a result of that, uh, she started to get Katrina Burke to come in and work with the school and so that started off as just some staff meetings on basically the physiological response to stress and what you can do about it. Yes. So Katrina's really good at talking about um, flipping your lid. When you start using the, the human brain, you know, the, um, the 
cortex, I guess, and start using the the reptile brain, the um, fight or flight response. And she says, if you just start breathing and you breathe out for longer than you breathe in, yeah, you can start to engage the parasympathetic nervous system, and you can calm down. And I think that's it's such a good trick to know when you're feeling really stressed. Yeah, and it's also, but it's also, I think, for a lot of teachers, certainly was for me. It's, it takes it away from being this kind of moralistic thing about you losing your temper or feeling anxious or whatever and you, so therefore you must have some moral failing that you're feeling this way and actually like, no, this is a physiological response. Mm, it is. In the same way if, you know, you're not a failure morally because you're hungry at the end of the day and you skipped lunch, like that's just the way your body physically works. Like That's right. You're an organism. Yes, it takes that. You need food. It takes that social kind of pressure, you know, all those limiting beliefs that we've got about the way we should be um, out of it and goes, well, this is just the human body. This is just the way it works. <laughs> and you, you do need a break at lunch probably to not engage with people. Matt, maybe you need to see people, but then you need to have a break to eat and maybe don't do any work at lunch if you can. If you can, yeah. It's not always possible. It's not possible. I'm, for myself, I, I'm not good at that. But I know that it will be good to try to not work at lunch. Mm. Mm. So the work with Katrina has extended now in our school to uh, a termly meeting with every team where our classes are covered by CRTs and we meet together with, with Katrina and we make a plan for the term. So how do you want to arrive at the end of term, for example? And our team would say, we want to arrive at the end of term feeling good and functioning well. And, how, and then we make uh, a plan for how to get there. Yeah, and everyone has input and we make a plan and we put it on a big piece of paper and, and at the end we take the paper away and refer back to it in every team meeting so that it's a focus for us for the whole term and it just becomes part of what we do. We care about our well-being. We refer to this plan and, you know, if we're going off track. There's a culture of well-being being actively created in that school it's not it's not an accident like this is no, it's very very conscious yes yes it doesn't happen by accident and it doesn't happen um without effort and without sometimes difficult conversations and painful changes those are all part of good self-care and, and proactive well-being it, it's not all massages and manicures and you know it's really hard work actually it can be hard work and I think we need to think that's okay as well but you maybe you need to get to a crisis point and then you go oh this needs a change yeah because it gets to a, when you get to that crisis point you realize that it's harder work to not make the changes it's hard work to make the changes but it's harder work in the long run that's right either you're going to you're going to go to school anyway and you can go to school and be really really stressed and not feel looked after or you can go to school and know that well-being is a priority mm. and I feel like that's changed well, for me, I, I can only speak for myself and I know for my team, we really appreciate it. And as specialists, um, I think we have, we have a kind of a different job in many ways to others. But um, I think we, we make the effort now to check in with each other every day. We're geographically separated in the school. So we're not, most teachers are in classrooms next to each other and they see each other in the morning and they have a chat in between class and then they're at the end. Whereas we're spread out. We have to actually make the physical effort to see each other. But um, checking in with each other has made a huge effort. Um, sorry, sorry, not a huge effort, a huge impression or effect on our, um, on our well-being as a team. That's great. And I love hearing these success stories, right, because it's so, um, there's so much in the media now about 
and and not even just um, news media, but even just social media about burnout uh, and and stress and and problems with teacher well-being and and difficulties that teachers face, and all of that is valid and real and true and should not be dismissed. However, if we if we only focus on that, it's I, I haven't ever seen that focus lead to anything productive. If the right, let's switch the focus. Let's actively proactively make some changes if the solutions focus doesn't come in. Um, so I'm really pleased to hear that this proactive approach has been working really well at your school. And, and you, you know, you have seen both sides of it now. You've seen leadership that is not supportive and, in fact, toxic. <laughs> Downright not supportive. Yeah, unsupportive. And then you've now seen the difference it makes. And I, I would be willing to bet that those leaders that you have now are much happier, healthier people than the, some of those toxic. Yes, I think that's probably true. So it's worth it for everyone. It's really worth it. And I really like the way that the principal will, will have a leadership meeting and she actively, uh, she really challenges us on what we're doing. And for example, lunchtime clubs, she'll say, look, we've got these clubs and people want to run these clubs, but you can't do too much. How much can we realistically do without overloading people? Whereas in the UK, I remember the principal was saying, we need to have all these lunchtime clubs. You need to do these clubs to make our school, you know, we need to offer all this, make our school look really good. Yeah. It's just a different mindset, really. Totally different, totally different intention because it's, it's not about making the school look good. Uh, it's about doing things well. <laughs> That's right. And as a result, that makes the school look better. <laughs> it does because the teachers... Well, we, we do a great job and I think people do have a lot of work and we have really high expectations at the school, but hopefully we know how to manage the stress that comes with that. Yeah, makes a difference, makes all the difference. That's it for part one of this interview with Elise. I really hope that you enjoyed it and please do take heart to Elise's lessons about vocal care and creating a culture of well-being in a school. If you're a leader or in a management role, Please take this as inspiration and encouragement to know that you do make a difference to your teachers and you can be instrumental in making a powerful shift towards a culture of well-being across the school community. Stay tuned for next week for part two of this teacher story where the conversation shifts from the school and teacher side of things to personal health and well-being. Elise shares with us some of the lessons she's learned on that front and the self-care practices she has in place to support herself as a person first and a teacher second. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self-Care for Teachers. If you've enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify, hit the three dots, share it to your Facebook or Instagram stories and let your friends know that you're listening. And if something in this episode made you think about a teacher that you care about and you think they need to hear it, send it to them now. Let's spread the message of teacher wellbeing and together we can create thriving school communities. Show notes for the podcast can be found at www.selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram using the handle at selfcareforteachers. Season five of the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast is proudly supported by Katrina Burke Coaching, Teachers Thriving, Zoe from My Smart Community, Jessica from Lead and Inspire, and Katie from See Me, Know Me, Teach Me. As always, remember you're a person first and a teacher second, and you are worthy of your own care.